Well, if you'd take your Bible and we'll turn together to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 25. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, we'll read verses 25 through the end of verse 34. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus Speaking, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, which he, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I uh, have a little book here by... D.A. Carson, it's a, it's a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought I'd begin, I, I think, an interesting observation that he makes to help us to think through these verses. And he gives us an example of three people. The first person is this, a happy-go-lucky, cheerful, almost irresponsible person. He rarely gets anything done and never gets anything done on time. He doesn't worry about the next five minutes, let alone tomorrow. Responsibility he wears too lightly. Life is a lark. On the other hand, he, he remains insensitive to the needs of, and feelings of others and is consistently carefree about the spiritual lostness of millions of men. That's the first person. Then there's the second person. The second person, she's almost hyper-responsible. She takes every grief and burden seriously. If there's any trouble, she frets so much over it that she produces outside ulcers. The state of the economy is a constant weight on her mind. Not only does she worry about tomorrow, she wonders how she'll make it out when she retires in 42 years. She may spread the objects of her worry around so that every bit of bad news or even a whiff of potentially bad news prompts a new outbreak of anxiety. Or she may focus her worries and inflated sense of responsibility on a few restricted areas with the result that she utterly excludes other people and topics. Third person. The third person is a balanced and sane young Christian, noteworthy for his integrity and disciplined hard work. Married with two children, he is supporting them faithfully while he tries to finish his doctorate. Within about one year to go, he wakes one night to discover that his wife can't speak and can't move her right side. A brain tumor is discovered, but major sur surgery proves useless. The doctor tells a young man that the recovery period will be lengthy and will not return his wife to normal strength and mental clarity in any case. In fact, the prognosis is three years, during which time 
she will become more and more like a vegetable and then she will die. Okay, there's three people. Then D.A. Carson says, let's, let's assume that these three people hear a sermon or a teaching on the verses that we just read. How will each one react? The first person will be quite happy. He always knew that other people were too uptight all the time. Why, why bother studying so hard for an A? Just passing the course is good enough. Why get so hung up with uh, binding commitments? He's happy and free and cheerfully obeying the Lord's injunction not to worry. The second person may feel quite rebuked by the sermon. He knows, or she knows it is for him or her. He worries that he has been denying the Lord and despairs of herself and, and her sins quite without any sense of irony. She begins to worry about worry. Ah, the third person. The third person listens to the sermon, unless he is, and unless he's mar- remarkably mature and full of grace, he bitterly sneers under his breath something to the effect that the preacher should watch his own wife die before venturing on so difficult a subject. And if this third man is tired and feeling a trifle vindictive, he may start to tick off on his mental fingers a few of the things that somebody jolly well ought to start worrying about. I thought that was really interesting. Because I think the verses that we just read could possibly be used in a very, very harmful way to people. And so that's why I think that we... We should probably be very careful as we work our way through these verses. Uh, It would seem to me that the audience for this subject uh, would be enormous because I think we all hear a great deal and experience a great deal of anxiety. Uh, In fact, um, Amazon Amazon tracks, uh, each year tracks uh, the searches and and that sort of thing that people do online. And... uh, Amazon tracked last year the most, the most highlighted verse of Scripture that was searched out on, on uh, search engines. What, what, what do you think it would be? Now, we might think, well, the Lord's Prayer, and that was pretty high on the list. Uh, also, John 3.16 and, and the 23rd Psalm. But none of them reached the number one spot. The number one spot went to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, yeah. about anxiety casting your cares upon the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? That out of, out of all the searches, whether it be Christians, non-Christians, uh, Christians, secular people, that the, the one verse that people would go to in the Bible would be regarding anxiety. You'll notice the word anxious. The English word anxious occurs six times in the passages that we just read. And though we all do struggle with anxiety, we all do. Okay, we all do at some level. Some, though, do suffer far more greatly. I want to say at the beginning, as you mo- most of you are very, very well aware, of, I'm not a physician. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. Um, all of whom could address the topic of anxiety far more comprehensively than I can. However, I don't think that even they could outdo Jesus for it's his words that we're looking at here. Now, the, just let, let me lay out first what we're going to see, okay? What, what, here's what we're going to see. According to Jesus, anxiety is foundationally a theological problem, okay? The anxiety that we're going to look at tonight is primarily a theological problem. Theological meaning 
Theology means the understanding of God. You know, in other words, if I was to ask you, what is your theology? I, I would be saying, what, what is your understanding of God? What do, you, what do you understand about God? And it seems to me, as we look at this, we're going to notice this, I think, that Jesus is saying that anxiety, this kind of anxiety that we're looking at here, is foundationally a theological problem. We're also going to see this that the solution that Jesus offers is a theological solution as well. Okay? It's really going to come down to, if you read this under this lens, it's going to come down to our understanding of God. If we have a very deficient understanding of God, an unbiblical um, understanding of God, then it will be no surprise that we would be racked with anxiety. However, uh, the, 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 the better our understanding of God, um, Jesus is saying, is the solution. Now, let's start off with what Jesus is not saying, okay? Let's, let's start off with that. that. That usually always helps a lot. If you'll hold your place and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I remember the first time that I read what I'm getting ready to read you. Remember the first time I read this, I was like scratching my head like, huh, now, how can this be? Second Corinthians chapter 11. Because when you read Matthew chapter 6, as we just read, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Uh, and then when you read in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, there's something interesting here that we need to talk about as we talk about what Jesus is not saying. Uh, but Paul, in, in chapter 11, Paul's giving, you know, if you'll notice in, in the heading of your Bible, it may say Paul's suffering as an apostle, okay? And he goes through all the difficulties he's facing. And then when he gets to verse 28, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, okay? So what, what's Paul saying here? Well, you know, I've, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've you know, I've, 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 I've had to deal with robbers. I've had to, you know, I've had, I've had to deal with all kinds of stuff. And then in addition to all those things, I face the anxiety, my anxiety for all the churches. Uh, some tra- translations have uh, care, the word care, and the English word care. And that, again, <clears throat> the, 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 the Greek word that is being used here is the same word that Jesus is using. In Matthew chapter 6. And so you do see the dilemma, right? On one hand, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't don't have excessive care and excessive worry. But then Paul says, I have anxiety. (laughs) And so I remember the first time I read that, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. How can this be? Because it seems that Paul is violating what Jesus is saying. It, it, It seems like you know, he, you know, Jesus said, don't be, don't be anxious. But Paul says, I'm anxious. I've anxi- don't, don't have anxiety. Well, I have anxiety. So what is the answer to this? Well, let me just ask a question. Just, just, just this question might help. Shouldn't we be concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people? I think everybody would nod their head yes. We should be concerned. We should care about the spiritual well-being of others. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. I have, you know, the, 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 the ESV translates anxiety. Uh, King James probably says care. But the original word is 
I have this excessive care about the churches. And if you read the New Testament, New Testament letters, we would know why. Because there was always, it seemed like the, the enemy of the church is always nipping at the heels of God's people. There was false teachers. There was all kinds of stuff going on that was detrimental to the church. And that's why Paul was saying, I'm concerned about your spiritual well-being. It, it weighs upon me heavy. You know, I lose sleep over it. Don't feel like eating. You know, I'm troubled in my soul. I care. So the first thing we ought to recognize that Jesus is not talking about in chapter 6, Jesus is not advocating for a who cares attitude. He is not suggesting that Christians should run around and go, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? No, not at all. I mean, if a doctor calls and says he would like to see you, you've, you know, you've had some tests run. The doctor calls and says, hey, I'd, I'd like to see you, or I'd like to see your spouse. You are facing what could be a difficult meeting, right? You, you're probably not going to hang up the phone and go, who cares? <laughs> Who cares? I, you know, I had a brain scan the other day and been having some pain. Uh, doctor wants to see me, but who cares? And, and you know, you, you wouldn't expect your spouse to say, well, honey, who cares? You would not expect that. So the point is this. There is a type. There is a type of care. There is a type of anxiety that we might call worthy worry. I think it was Dale Ralph Davis, minister over in Mississippi, I read a few years ago. That's what, that's what he called it. It appears when we read the Bible that there are some things that are worthy of our care, worthy of our anxiety. There's a kind of concern or care that can be good, healthy, and worthy. You... You have a wayward son, a wayward daughter. Probably, you probably don't think, who cares? Probably care deeply. So do, do, do you understand what Jesus is not talking about? When, when Jesus is going to be anxious, as we're going to see in just a moment, he, he narrows the scope down. He, he doesn't say, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about, don't, don't, just don't care about the upcoming test or the upcoming meeting. You have a difficult meeting with someone. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't give it another thought. He's not talking about that. So Jesus is not talking about worthy worry or worthy anxiety. There is a sense in which worry is not only good, but its absence is, biblically speaking, irresponsible. Remember the first guy we read about? He doesn't care. He doesn't care for millions of people going to hell. He doesn't care. He just doesn't care. <laughs> See, there are some things you care about right, right now that are worthy of your care. Now, that that you know that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we we let them eat us up. What it what it does mean is that we remember that Paul addresses this kind of worry later. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. See, all of these things that are worthy of our concern, it, it, it's, it's, 
God is not suggesting that we just carry these alone. We cast them upon him. We pray. So there is a sense in which worry is not only good, it would be irresponsible to say, I don't, I'm not worried about my daughter. I don't care. So I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to worry about it. Yet, now here's where we want to get to. There is a sense in which worry is not only evil, but its presence signifies an unbelief and disobedience. That's what we want to get to. We talked about what, what Jesus is not saying. Now let's get to what he is saying. Jesus is counseling here against the kind of worry and excessive care that is self-centered and has its root, has at its root, I should say, a lack of trust in God. Let me say it again. The kind of worry, excessive care that Jesus is counseling against here is that self-centered, it's self-centered and it has its root in a lack of trust in God. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching here that these needs of basic necessities, as we'll look at in a moment, become opportunities for living a life distinctive from the surrounding secular culture who never learn to trust God for even the basic necessities. That's what we're going to see. What Jesus lists here in chapter 6 are basic necessities. And again, the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to, to, to kingdom people, to, to believers and He's saying, I want you to live a distinctive life, different from that of the Gentiles, different from that of the secular culture, different from that of the pagans. They, they worry about these basic necessities. And Jesus is saying, you do not have to worry about these basic necessities. So let's start. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What, and, and, and if he stopped there, he just said, about your life. We, we might rush to fill in the gap, but he fills in the gap here. What, what do you mean, Jesus, about our life? What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. You see, when he says not about your body, you, know, you might, you, if you just left that without any, uh, 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 you know, something to qualify, you might go, oh, see, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm worried about my body in this kind of way. This kind of, no, what he means is not about your body, what you will put on, what you'll wear. Okay, so basic necessities, all right? What we'll eat, drink, and put on. Then he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, life, life is not less than food, drink, and clothing. But Jesus is saying it is so much more. Life is so much bigger, so much larger than what we are going to eat, drink, and put on our body. That's the first thing we need to recognize here. Uh, because if these things become our life, we are bound to have anxiety. If, if these things are what we are obsessed about, we worry about, we're, you know, these basic necessities, how am I going to get them? How am I going to keep them? Uh, if, 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 if these become our life, then naturally we will. We'll be racked with anxiety. These things are necessary for life. And since, think about it. See, theology, okay, theology. My understanding of God, right? So let's, let's start here. 
These things are necessary for life, okay? We, we understand that. But we also should understand God gives life, all right? He is the giver of life. And so that should say to us, he will maintain our life as long as he wills. That's where Jesus is headed with this argument. That's the theolo- theological argument. wants us to think deep about who God is, his character, his nature. And so since he gives life, okay, these things are more than life, and we need them. They're necessities for life. And since God gives life, he is going to maintain life as long as he wills. Jesus provides three examples now, three examples of what, you know, where his argument is headed, and it begins in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Now, let's stop there first to look at the word look. Uh, the, the word that is used here and later, consider, you know, consider the lilies, consider the flowers of the hill, is, is not just a glance, okay? Uh, it, it means to fix your eyes upon. It means to take a good, hard look, okay? Take a good, hard look. Think deeply. Consider the birds of the air. Now, let me ask you a question. If anybody wants to answer, it'd be helpful. What do you suppose we might observe by focusing upon the birds? What are the things that we might learn by just about life, about God? What, what, what do you think we might learn? Jesus said, look at the birds. Think deeply. Look, look. Yeah, go ahead, Larry. Yes. I've been amazed at the times, you know, maybe you've done this before. Uh, I may may be sitting in the car waiting for Catherine and, you know, you see these little sparrows hopping around the parking lot. I've been amazed at how many, just, I'd never noticed this had I not first noticed the bird, but how many times they kind of work their way over to a little small piece of hamburger left on the ground or something. It's just, it's just kind of like it's there, you know, been amazed at that, you know, but, but again, that's why I say we have to have to look. And think deeply about this. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a bird in line at the pharmacy picking up medicine for stress? Anybody ever seen that? You ever, ever, ever seen a bird, you know, how they, you know, people stand at the end of the freeway holding the side? Have you ever seen a bird saying, we'll, we'll, you know, work for food? You know, never, right? See, and that's what, that's the, really, that's kind of the humor that Jesus is using here. Uh, when, when he said, he, he goes, they neither sow nor reap or gather into the barns. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of humorous in a way. Jesus said, you don't, ever, you don't ever see birds, you know, flying together, you know, bringing in a crop into the barn. So we've got to put this up for the winter, you know. Don't see that. And what is the point that Jesus is making here? Looking at the birds, thinking deeply about this, we should come away with, with this clear theological reasoning. God takes care of them even though they don't sow or reap. That's the clear message that Jesus is wanting us to see. Look at the birds. You know, think about that. Think about what God's doing for the birds. Think about what he's doing for that part of his creation. And we'd go, okay, like Larry said, he's taking care of them, even though, you know, they don't, they're not fretting and trying to want to work, you know, getting together, having a meeting. Where's our next meal coming from? You know, it's probably the Walmart parking lot, probably, you know. Are some of your bird feeders out there? You know, so so, so see see how it's see how this is so theological. Jesus is saying, think think about your father, think about your heavenly father, think deeply about who he is and how generous he is. 
Now, we should not interpret from this, by the way, okay? Uh, because Jesus does say, look at the birds, you know, uh, they don't sow nor reap, which means they don't work. <laughs> we should not gather from these verses, okay, I'm quitting my job, <laughs> you know. Uh, we, no, that's not at all what we should do. We, we need to work. If we trust God every day, we'll be, at, see, here, we, we should not think these things. We should not think, one, I don't need to work. Neither should we think this. If we trust God every day, we'll be smooth sailing. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Okay? See, you, you yep. <laughs> yeah, what's the anxiety? Yeah. Yes. So we, we should not interpret from this that we, we don't need to work. That's, see, see, that would be reading way, way too much into what Jesus is saying here. Neither should we read into it that if we trust God every day, we'll be smooth sailing. Sometimes, huh, look. You know this, right? Sometimes sparrows are eaten by predators, right? It's not all jolly for them, okay? And certainly they all die in a short span, okay? You know, we don't find too many 100-year-old sparrows, okay? The point is this, and let's get down to the point of the first example. The birds demonstrate God's care for the lower creation. And thus we who are a much higher creation can be assured of his great care. And, and Folks, right, this could not be more pertinent or relevant right now in our culture. That, that little phrase at the end of verse 26, are you not more value, of more value than they are? I tell you what, you, you, I don't know how well you keep a finger on the pulse, but I'm telling you, um, the, 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 the equality and the rights you know, issues that have been going on, uh, every day I, I read about this, hear about this of... of uh, you know, of, of not, only, not only those who believe animals should have equal rights that, as humans, but even mountains and trees, and that, that sort of thing, you know. And, and I just, just want to point out here, Jesus, Jesus says you, you are more valuable than a sparrow. You are a higher level of creation than the sparrow. Don't, don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody blow smoke, okay, um, Jesus is making it very clear here that we are a higher form of creation than the birds. And again, if he takes care of them, the logical conclusion would be he will take care of us. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Most of them I see just kind of piddling around. but you know, Maybe they're retired like you. I don't know. <laughs> Retiree birds, you know, yeah. Example number two. Example number two. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And again, I look to uh, a little comment that uh, D.A. Carson made and uh, is trying to understand what, this, what Jesus is saying here. And, and, and really the key is that uh, cannot add a single span to his, or, or a single hour to his span of life. So it's talking about, you know, we, we really, you know, it's, our our anxiety is not going to add an extra day to our life. Let, 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 me, let me read what he says. He says, I'm inclined to follow those who see an idiom here, something like this. Who of you, by worrying, can add to the pathway of his life a single cubit? In America, a person might say on his birthday, well, I've reached another milestone. Of course, he hasn't. What he has done is used linear measure as a metaphor for age. As a person walks the pathway of life, the time comes when God determines it will end. Worrying will not change that decree. 
He cannot travel a single cubit farther, so why worry about it? So it's just an understanding that, again, what what, what theologically could we learn about God? God God gives life. God takes life. And all of our worry and fretting over these sorts of things is really not going to add an an, an extra cubit. That's example number two. Example number three is found in verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, there's that word consider again, looking, thinking deeply. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed, not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more, much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Consider the lilies. Uh, the, the word here literally means wildflowers, just wildflowers in general. Take a close look at them. Uh, they do not work to earn or buy their beauty. Uh, most most of you probably admit you see you know maybe a, a, just a mass of wildflowers on the expressway and one of, you know between the roads there and you think wow look at that nobody nobody's out there taking care of those nobody's doing really anything to you know it's just, it's just they're beautiful Jesus is saying you know if you if you look at that and you think about that they did not work to earn or buy their beauty yet they outshine Jesus said they outshine the glory of Solomon's glory. These flowers also are merely temporal. They're here today. What happens to them tomorrow? Thrown into the oven, okay? Temporary. The point, the point again, theological point, if these short-lived flowers are clothed this beautifully, how much more will our Father provide for those whom he loves? Theological. Again, the foundation of anxiety is a theological problem. Okay? This, this kind of anxiety that we're looking at over these basic necessities of life, theological problem. The solution is a theological solution. Now, can you, well, let's, let's, let's look at verses 31 through 32 first. Let's do that. Verses 31 through 32. Therefore, and, and remember what therefore, the word therefore means is, is since all of these things are true, you know, since, since you've considered these things, since you've thought through about these things, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? In other words, verse 31 is, is saying, now, now that your theology is improved, now, now that you have a better understanding of your father, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, uh, Gentiles, again, remember, would be unbelievers. Speaking about the secular unbeliever here. Uh, And so what Jesus is wanting us to see is when a disciple of Christ, when a follower of Jesus goes around muttering these anxious questions, you know, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? When they do that, they are living as an unbeliever would. Jesus is saying, this is the way unbelievers live. This is the way they think. This is, you know, th- this is how they're geared. But, but you have a heavenly father. <laughs> you have a great provider. And so 
He's saying, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't talk like that. Don't, don't live like that. Don't be anxious because unbelievers, they live that way. They think that way. But followers of Christ, those in the family of God, must not. Now we get to a climax at verse 33. This is, this is be considered the climax of this portion that Jesus is talking about. And it says in verse 30, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat and drink and you're going to wear, but here now it, it's again. It, this proves that Jesus is not talking about an irresponsible, carefree life. Because verse thirty-three: Seek first the kingdom of God. Care about that. <laughs> See, care about that. Go after that. Don't 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 spend your energy on what you're going to eat and drink and and wear. But but rather have a goal. Care about. First, the kingdom of God. There's two, two key words, kingdom and righteousness, all right? Two key words, kingdom and righteousness. And notice the word first, but seek first. First is to be understood logically more than chronologically. What, what we mean by that is a person should not say, well, since I don't worry about, you know, I'm, I'm going to be kind of like the lilies. I'm not going to work because I'm, I'm concerned about the kingdom of God. Because I've got to put that first, you know. I've got to put that first. So Jesus is not talking about a chronological order necessary, but, but a logical order, a logical order. And it has to do with a singular aim and goal. It doesn't mean the person, you know, we've met these kind of people before. They, you know, they really super zealous that come to Christ and they're ready to, quit their job, sell everything they got, and go to Botswana or whatever, you know, and just, you know, dump everything, dump all responsibilities and just, you know. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It has, it has more to do with a single, a singular aim or goal, uh, being dedicated to God's kingdom and the kind of Christ-centered righteous behavior that marks those who are followers of Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we've been going all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and that's, that's been the one thing. Remember, remember we, we talked about where Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And, and, and the word pure there, pure in heart, meant singleness of heart. It, it, it wasn't primarily focused on, you know, just this perfect, you know, sanitized life. It had more to do with the heart, the singleness of the heart. My, my, the trajectory of my heart is to please my Savior, Okay. It means that that's first. That that's my aim. That's my goal. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here again. It's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians when he said, you know, that 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 Satan wants to lead us astray from a from a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Same thing. Same thing. This this singleness of heart, this this single aim and goal. It's 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 very much what Jesus mentioned earlier in the sermon those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same, same thought here, putting first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or another way of saying that is 
um, putting first the kingdom of God and his righteous rule. His righteous rule. He's the king. Okay, He is the king of the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom and we are to live under his righteous rule. The, the, and, and the point here is the priority of the Gentiles, again, is meeting their own needs. But we, we have a heavenly father. We have a king. See, we have someone who cares for us and will provide these basic necessities. Okay, so we could say, we could say, we, we won't, but we, we could, we could say the solution to anxiety, um, I, I, I want, how, how successful is it when, you, when you're with someone and they express that they are worrying about something? How successful is it usually when you say to them, stop worrying? Yeah, usually, usually not real helpful. Yeah, you may mean well. You may mean well when you say to your spouse or someone, you say, now stop worrying, you know. Well, you know, the, 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 the answer, the, the, the response to someone who is worrying, okay, may not be the best way to say just stop. It, the better way might be this, is a direct redirecting of the person's vision to a proper heart orientation. Okay, it, it's not just simple as saying, "Hey, just stop worrying." Um, helping, helping improve their theology, <laughs> their understanding of God, and also a, a, diff, a different heart orientation. Their their heart has been misguided, uh, misdirected. Uh, helping them get a better heart orientation. Uh, so. Never would we recommend, you know, the, the stop worrying. So again, I've got to remember, sometimes, sometimes the worry is, is worthy worry, okay? I would not want anyone to say to me, stop worrying when what I'm worrying about is worthy worry. Yeah, you know, I think, I think we like to, I think we, you know, let, let's face it. It depended on the circles if you're, you're in. This is, this is horrible to say, but depending on the circles you're in, you know, I've been in, I've been in some circles where if, if I was to use the word worry, you know, oh, man, they just come unglued. Oh, you're not supposed to worry. You're not supposed to worry. And so I might be clever and go, I'm concerned. <laughs> but it's the same thing, you know. It's the same thing. You know, you, you, we can try to dress it up with semantics and all that kind of stuff. The point is there's some things we should be concerned about or anxious about or care about. Exactly. Exactly, Dale. Again, you know, if, if the scriptures tell us to cast our cares upon the Lord, that's an indicator that we've got them, you know? At least, at least God recognizes you got cares, you got anxiety. Well, okay, you know, you have to bear them alone, cast them upon the Lord, which is just another way of saying pray, <laughs> commit them to prayer. Uh, verse 34, okay, before we run out of time, verse 34. Therefore, and again, there's the word, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day, or for the day is its own trouble. Anxiety, anxiety, the kind of anxiety that Jesus is talking about here is living in worry about something that does not yet exist and will be dealt with when it does, which is tomorrow's trouble. And I guess the, the two final things that we want to kind of nail this down with to remember, to better understand this is, the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about here is the result of double-mindedness, a divided heart, 
which is the opposite of single, sincere devotion that is to mark the follower of Jesus. So, so the, the, again, the answer is theological, and it's a better understanding of God and a, a, a singleness of devotion to the Lord. Now, what, what kind of help can we get here? You know, what, what do we do? What, what do we do with um, two things? One, we, we, again, we've mentioned this over and over, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. Uh, certainly, certainly bringing our concern, whatever you want to call them, worries, concerns, uh, anxiety, uh, anxious care. There's a lot of different translations that try to deal with the word. But again, uh, the, these things that are worthy of our concern, as, as Dale said, we're passionate about, uh, we, we are to cast them upon the Lord. Second thing that will help, though, and i just just reading this little observation the other day. You know, so often... Let's face it, when we, we don't like being out of control, we don't like that. We, we, don't, we, we like to have the power, have the control to be able to say, here's what I'm going to do and here's how it's going to work out, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, but we don't. We, we don't. We, we, we sometimes you know, d- deceive ourselves into thinking we have more of it than we actually do. But someone put it this way, Jesus lost his control and gave up his power so that we can give up our craving for power and control and know that the Lord will meet our needs. So one way to think this through is, again, by looking unto Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, look unto Jesus. Now, what, what would that mean? Well, it could mean, okay, Jesus gave up his control and his power. He, he, he laid aside his glory and came in the form of a servant and... All of this he did so that I could give up my craving for power and control and I could trust him to provide my needs. So that, those are just some ways to help us to think through. Again, the problem, foundation of it really is, is theological. The solution is theological. Look unto Jesus. You know, again, uh, much more could be said about all the different forms of anxiety and different um, degrees and so much, so much, so much more. So uh, um, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get better. Let's get better at casting our cares upon him. Father, your shoulders are the only shoulders that are big enough to carry the cares of our lives. And so we first want to say how grateful we are that you do care for us. And you care about what's, what we're facing, what we're dealing with. And no doubt there are people here tonight that will we'll leave with uh, still some sorts of, of cares and concerns. Some are very worthy of our concern. But may we, may we not forget and may we not neglect to come before your throne, the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. You are more than generous, more than able to help us. And so please help us to remember this and run to you and cast our cares upon you. Now we go in your peace and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everybody.